When I went home for Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago, my dad was parked at the front of Duluth International Airport, reading the newspaper with the engine running. There was a line of cars at the entrance to the airport, no security in sight, most of them looking like my dad, as if they had been there for a while. From there, we drove another hour east to Port Wing, Wisconsin, a village that holds 456 unincorporated souls as counted in the 2010 census. My mom grew up there. I lived there with her for a year. She and my dad have retired there and are waiting anxiously for the day I decide to move back. I want you to imagine the most remote northern location you can come up with. There should be a lot of snow and a lot of flannel, beat up trucks, three bars on the main street. It might look like the TV show Northern Exposure. That's okay. That's pretty close. But take away the philosopher radio host, the rich eccentric just outside of town and the cute lady bush pilot, and instead add back a large amount of uninspired retirees, a handful of eccentric but mediocre artists, and a not-so-cute transsexual? <laughs> and you've got it. <laughs> yeah, the last bit is the thing that breaks the stereotype and makes Port Wings stick with me, unlike any other place I've lived, and I have lived in a lot of places. Over one three-year stretch in my life, I had 13 addresses. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I never stayed in one place long enough to make any meaningful connections, which always made the leaving easier than the staying, because the excitement of being in a new place was preferable to the loneliness of not going anywhere. I was 23 at the time, and moving to Port Wing was the end of a stretch of addresses that had exhausted both me and all of my resources. I was living with my mom, helping her run the bar slash restaurant slash bed and breakfast we owned at the time because I was dead broke and had to give up an internship where I was free labor. Days at the restaurant started at 5.30 in the morning in the summer with my mom and I serving breakfast to the fishermen before cleaning the rooms upstairs, which went into serving lunch. After lunch, one of us would do the accounting and ordering and one of us would do the laundry. My sister would come in, and we would go straight into serving dinner, which kept us busy until about 11 p.m. I didn't bartend, so I could go home once the kitchen was clean, but my sister would stay most nights until bar closed to make a few extra dollars behind the bar. It was brutal. My sister only lasted this summer before she went to the first school that would take her, just so she wouldn't have to work there during the winter. <laughs> Fall was a little easier, only in that we didn't serve breakfast, so I could sleep in until 7 o'clock in the morning, and all the tourists left. Well, fall meant hunting season, and then snowmobilers, if the snow was good enough. But we weren't as busy with them, so my mom and I had more time to do things like go to the town meeting on the third Tuesday of every month at the town hall. Everybody shows up for the town meeting, more than church, more than the bar actually. Now, the town hall, which is just an old converted gymnasium that used to be attached to a school that's long since fallen down, it's the beating heart of Port Wayne. That's where they hold the Labor Day fish boil, the Ludfisk dinner, the spaghetti... Oh, she's had Ludfisk, because that noise, that noise is the noise of Ludfisk. Ugh. Uh, the spaghetti feed and the annual uh, fireman's chicken dinner. And it's the center of all town business. 
I always went because my mom went, and it was at least something to do. Nothing ever really happened, but every once in a while there might be a fight about something, and that could be entertaining for a couple of minutes. The Christmas tree was already set up at one end of the hall, even though it was barely mid-November. The big topic on the agenda was the town's need for a new snowplow. It must have been a slow news night because everyone was there. The fireman's chicken dinner was also on the agenda, I guess. Maybe that was the draw. I don't know. In any case, I wasn't really paying attention to the discussion about the snowplow because I was trying to count the number of broken ornaments on the Christmas tree, which was seven, if you counted the reindeer that didn't have any antlers. But I did hear the town chairman say, all in favor of buying the used snowplow from the reservation, please say aye. He was a stickler for Robert's Rules of Order, and so he went through the whole thing with the A's and the nays, and the A's had it, and it went into the meeting minutes, and we were about to move on to new business when Skeezix stood up in the row in front of us. Skeezix is the living embodiment of every northern stereotype I asked you to imagine earlier. Big bushy beard? Check. Thick flannel shirt? Check. Carhartt coveralls, check. He wasn't one of the uninspired retirees or mediocre artists though, he was the town's best mechanic and he had the smeared and greasy hands to prove it. Hard working and hard living, my mom had gone to high school with him and a bunch of guys with nicknames like Pukey and Snooky and Tyke and Snort. You know, Skeezix towered over the row of folding chairs like a tree in a clearing. He looked straight forward and said, I'm just going to say it because there's no easy way. From here on out, I'd like everyone to call me Carrie. I've always felt that I was a woman, and I would like to honor that. Shut the door! <laughs> What? This was by far the best thing that had ever happened at a town meeting. Oh my God. In my head, I went through Robert's Rules of Order and I thought, can I get an I? Oh shit, for deciding to honor the woman in you, can I get an amen? Silence. It held. Everyone looked at their feet or the hands they had suddenly folded in their laps, what like all of a sudden were in church. <laughs> After a good bit of this tortured silence, the town chairman said, well, will that be taking effect immediately here? <laughs> Skeezix? Immediately. Please call me Carrie. All right then, Carrie. The chairman looked out at us, panicked, and immediately adjourned the meeting. The firemen were on their own for chicken dinner. <laughs> there was a collective rising and exodus around her where Carrie, now sitting in the middle of the row, in the middle of the room, in overalls and full beard, waited for the rows around her to empty. No one made eye contact. Not one person said a word when they walked out. It really did feel like church. My mom and I walked to the car and there was none of the usual banter coming out of the meeting. Carrie was the last one through the doors. Everyone headed home 
with every memory they had about Skizix starting to change. The next day, people started seeing Carrie at the convenience store without the beard. The day after that, in makeup. A week later, she was wearing fake nails and a woman's wig. After New Year's Eve, there was a rumor she had gone to the casino in a woman's dress and heels. Outwardly, the town ignored her clothes and manners. The gossip went on behind closed doors, mostly over coffee cups and beer. Pukey's wife came over to our house most afternoons for coffee or just to chat. One afternoon, she was telling my mom about a conversation she'd had with her husband. He thinks it isn't natural. He doesn't understand how suddenly it's so different. Did Skizix know this his whole life? He's been with women just as much as Pukey has. You went to high school with him, she said to my mom. Did you know? I was dying to hear what my mom thought of all this. No, I didn't know. What was there to know? This is movie stuff. It isn't real. At least it wasn't real here. Do you think it's wrong? Pukey's wife asked. Well, no. Surprising, but not wrong. How could I say that about someone I've known my entire life? I overheard a lot of it at the restaurant on Sundays after church where the town chairman hosted the coffee clatch ladies for coffee and cinnamon rolls. His opinion fairly quickly settled on, she doesn't ask for anything unreasonable. Odd, but not unreasonable. And besides, no matter what she wears, she can still fix the snowplow this winter. <laughs> Very practical, the town chairman. Edith, the eldest at the table, disagreed with a vigorous shake of her spoon. When I was a girl, a man who thought he was a woman just would have gotten married and would have gotten over it. Susan, who taught at the local high school and had more contact with the younger generation, thought it wasn't something that you get over. That's the point. After coffee and cinnamon buns, she would go home to her daughter, who didn't think this whole thing was much of a big deal at all, if what she was saying at the grocery store was to be believed. It got around that Carrie was going to Thailand for that surgery that will take her bits and pieces. She was going by herself. Her ex-wife and oldest daughter weren't speaking to her, and her younger, youngest daughter had a family to take care of. When Carrie came back, as an official Carrie, it was a quiet affair, the lights in her trailer out on the old dump road, the only sign she had returned at all. Months later, when spring had shown up for a day only to get beaten back by a holy hell of a snowstorm, I was bartending. With my sister at school, I had to bartend, especially on game days when a ton of people would come out. Someone came in and sat at the stool at the end where Skizix had always sat. And during a snowstorm, everyone looks the same with all the coats and hats and scarves. I'll take a seven and seven, please. It was Carrie. I poured the drink and handed it over. The game was good, the bar was busy, I lost track of time. Pukey and Snort were sitting at the other end of the bar, near the door. Both of them well served at that point and getting a little bit loud. Carrie paid for her seven and seven and put her coat on, getting ready to walk past two of the guys she'd gone to school with who hadn't said a word to her since the night at the town hall. Breathing quickly and holding her purse across her body, she moved past the end of the bar and had her hand on the door when she heard, hey, it was Snort. 
Snort worked at the grain elevator on the docks in Duluth and spent a lot of time in his truck. Carrie had been the best man at his wedding. Hey, he said again a little bit louder this time. Carrie turned away from the door to look at him and waited. Um, so my truck's got something wrong with the clutch. It feels pretty spongy and I don't want to lose it because I got to get to work. Do you think you might have a chance to maybe come over and take a look at it, Carrie? Carrie nodded. Sure thing. Just bring it by when you're ready. I'll be home. She pulled her hood up, pushed the door open, and walked outside. Now, as short as it was, that exchange made it okay to acknowledge her as Carrie, as a woman. Like I said, the bar was busy that day, and a story like that was going to travel faster than I could pull a quarter tab. And I'm not saying there's wholehearted acceptance of who she is. There still isn't. But there isn't wholehearted acceptance of anyone who's a Democrat. (laughs) (laughs) Or people who don't hunt. Or anyone who drinks tea instead of coffee or refuses to eat bacon. I mean, it's a small town. And small towns are family, for better or worse. After I left, and I moved here to Chicago to live in Boys Town, where the men who are women can be more beautiful than women who are women, I always wondered about Carrie. Why did she stay there? Wouldn't it be easier for her to move to a bigger city where she could blend or at least not stand out so much? And then I thought about why I stayed in Port Wing. There was work to be done. My family was there. The beer was real cheap. The time I spent in that town was one of the hardest years of my life. But the work that I did there and the people I met are a part of who I am now. The connection I had missed in all of those addresses had been established. People knew me. I was seen. Because of her work, Carrie has a purpose there, a reason to get up in the morning and people who will buy her a cup of coffee on a Saturday afternoon, and I get it. When you have just those few things, you start to exist in a place. And then putting down roots suddenly seems possible. <laughs>